The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the program. FetishCon 2022, just a couple weeks ago, brought me in touch with my authentic self in ways I could have never imagined. I met so many lovely people who share their passion for what we love. And one of those people taught classes to help people feel horror-tastic. While society may look at that word and think it's a negative, this woman creates a positive and hopeful light wherever she goes. Talia Amor has been a sex coach and sex worker for over 12 years across the United States. Talia's passion is ending the stigma of pleasure. She has experience and education in sex coaching, sexology, sexological bodywork, tantra, kink, stripping, cam and phone work, brothel work, and more. Self-described as whore-tastic, standing in her power, owning her sexuality, and living an alternative lifestyle. Learning compassion in unlikely places, finding divinity in the profane. Starting as a sex coach, incorporating sex work, blending spirituality, entertainment, and education, Talia has created her own philosophy around the how and why of sex work. She's a mother and wife in a CNM relationship. Talia co-creates bespoke experiences with clients and also mentors others interested in following the path to becoming horror-tastic. Talia Amor, our guest on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you realized that sex was a passion for you? Mm. I don't know. I remember like masturbating as a child and having orgasms like and always being connected to my pleasure. I don't know how I knew that, but I remember like as young as definitely um, before kindergarten, like preschool. Wow. I know. And people are always like, were you abused? Did something happen to you? And honestly, like, I don't think so. Like there's nothing that I remember or think something happened. Like I literally just think that 
yeah, it's just a part of being a human being. And just because you're connected to your pleasure doesn't mean that from a young age doesn't mean that something had to have happened to you, you know? <laughs> First time you realized that this kind of work is what you wanted to put your passion into. Um, I remember dressing up um, like my mom used to call me um, when I did like my makeup and stuff, a lady of the night <laughs> as a kid. I didn't really like, I don't have a conscious memory of like knowing what that meant, um, but dressing up like a lady of the night when I was like younger. And I remember being um, paid for just companionship, not even sexual stuff mm -hmm. when I was like probably 18-ish. And that's actually how I got my first apartment was I had a girlfriend and one of our friends was constantly like, I want to see you have sex. I want to see you have sex. And so I just kept, you know, we kept putting them off. And then finally I was like, you know what, if you just give me $3,000 so we can move out and get our own apartment, then that's fine. And it like, so I don't know, like it was just kind of something I think that was in me. And then by the time I was like in my yeah, late 20s, I made a conscious decision to move into sex work. So that was like, I mean, I didn't ever think of it like, oh, this is my life's journey and my life stream. Like I just now realized like fast forward over 12 years that this is a career. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, didn't realize, but um, I do now. <laughs> Your passion is ending the stigma of pleasure. When was the first time the stigma ended for you? Um, I don't know that it ever really. Um, I don't know that it ever really was there to a certain extent. Hmm. Like I remember, um, you know, always liking to do things that were fun and pleasurable, having too much probably of a good time. Um, <laughs> I think for me, like as I've gotten older, I've realized how much issue other people have with pleasure and enjoyment. So I feel like as I've gotten older, I've felt the weight of the collective consciousness, like, um, you know, work has to be hard. Um, you have to be miserable to get ahead. And like all of these like messages that you're given and I've never really like gone with that. Mm. You know, there, I think there's been times where I tried and I definitely felt like, um, bogged down by that and stuck in like that constant working, working, working. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a conscious choice to not stigmatize and shame pleasure and enjoyment. And um, so, yeah, it's just realizing as I've gotten older, it's like, whoa, this is actually really, really important. First time you receive feedback from a client saying, what I went through with you was life-changing and I see myself in a new way. Oh, I don't remember the first time that happened. 
Yeah, I don't necessarily remember the first time. I mean, I guess maybe it was when I was doing um, like some training with my mentor and people that we were um, that were like modeling for me, being my little model person, actually getting that feedback like, whoa, there's something happening like this, something is happening and something shifted and changed. And they had a lot more experience within the realm of like Tantra and sacred sexuality than I did. So I was just being, and then it was reflected back to me what I was actually being and doing by being. First yeah. time you ever used the word hortastic <laughs> and the reaction you got um okay so it had to have been this past year I came up with that and um I don't remember exactly how it happened but I was definitely using it to describe myself or something about um like being in your full self, sexual self-expression and like owning it and not being ashamed of it and not being sorry about it, you know, like kind of very dommy kind of feeling vibe and, um, and very fabulous feeling. And somehow, yeah, I came out of my mouth. I was like, um, said something like, hortastic, you know, like fantastic, but hortastic. <laughs> And then I was like, ooh, that's really fun. Like, I'm going to keep saying that. What does that even mean? So that's what happens. <laughs> and we're going to talk about more of what it's like to be hortastic when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. You all know I love my cat suits, and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing Winter Fetish. I've had some of them for 10 years, and they're still going strong. Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC, with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the House of Lord, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and now these suits can be yours. And if you use the code www.spandexcat, you get 10% off your purchase and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. From the bold and the beautiful, to boy meets world, to liberating herself from Hollywood, Maitland Ward has an incredible story, and she shares it with us. When I was trying to be nice and fit in that box, less people noticed me or gave me respect, especially like after my fame on the shows and everything, like later years. 
middle years, I guess. <laughs> um, but then when I like on social media, and I really have social media on my fans and the press to uh, thank because they gave me a platform to express who I was and to do stuff I wanted to do. And once I started to be really authentic about myself and to be honest about who I was and just have fun and be be who I am, that's when people really started to respond. And I think that's a lesson that everybody can really learn in life and anything. I think people really respond to authenticity and that's a powerful energy to have. Maitland Ward on the premiere of season three of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, Tuesday, September 20th. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the program, joined by sex coach and sex worker for the last 12 years across the United States, Talia Amor, who I had the great opportunity of meeting at FetishCon. What an amazing event that was just for the sheer amount of people there that suddenly become your family. Yes, like all weekend, um, I was going around just saying, hi, friends. Hey, friends. Excuse me, friends. Over there, friends. <laughs> Entering an environment like that where everyone is so supportive of what you do. How rewarding is that? Um, I don't even know if there's words for it, honestly, because, you know, fetishes and sex work and even sex and pleasure in general get um stigmatized and get such a bad rap and so to actually be in a space where you don't have that weight um it's very liberating and it just feels natural like it just feels like like when almost like when I'm just by myself and I'm in my own little world and I don't realize that other people have issues with what I do or who I am. <laughs> yeah. The beautiful part about FetishCon for me was the fact that I was wearing my cat suits or some form of spandex the entire time I was there until Sunday. When people said, oh, you're in your vanilla clothes, like they were disappointed. <laughs> and the comments that I got, you look marvelous. You look spectacular. Gosh, you rock that. I've never gotten that before. That kind of environment can only make what we do even better. How much did it amp you up during that time? Oh, I feel like I've gotten a little um, creative wind after it. You know, I definitely felt like um, I think mostly most of Sunday was like drool on the couch day. And then yesterday it was like domestic goddessing. But I still started like writing stuff 
you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a, a Zoom Q&A, a Hortastic Zoom Q&A type thing. So I'm going to put that out there. And then so, yeah, it was there's definitely some inspiration that comes after events like that for me, usually. Tell me about the two classes that you taught. Mm, okay. So, so actually, um, with my husband, we did two together. And those are kind of our usual ones. He created um, a desires, um, boundaries, safe word aftercare um, workshop a year or two ago. And so I've had the gift and pleasure of being able to present that with him. Um, and actually, I think that was probably the only the second or third time we've done that one mm. together. And it was in a different way than we had done it in the past because the audience is so already with it you know they're like yeah we already know what a safe word is that's fine you know whereas to other audiences we're constantly like explaining talking about talking about it to get people up to speed um and then the other one the blueprints one we've presented together multiple times um both of us are certified erotic blueprint coaches and the blueprints are founded by Jaya. She's a world-renowned sex educator, and she's one of my mentors. So we go around spreading the word of the blueprints. It's uh, how you experience arousal and pleasure in your body. So that was pretty fun. That's kind of like a usual go-to for us. But the one that was a super big deal kind of happened almost by like chance, it seemed like. Um, or just kind of me being in the space of like, Hey, you know what? Zero fucks given as usual. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Hortastic thing had come up, um, you know, like I said, this past year, and then I started speaking out in some of our coaching circles, our blueprint coaching circles and other leadership circles that we're in. And I started getting a lot of positive feedback and other people coming to me and saying, because you spoke about this, like, I'm going to share something about it. Um, and I was like, wow, this is actually kind of a thing here. And so then um, I decided um, when we were applying to FETCON, we had sent the first two in and they responded and asked me about the entertainer part of it. And I was like, Oh shit, that's like, Ooh, you know, that's kind of a big deal. Like presenting under my real name all the time and then presenting under my working name. So what is that like? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I just wrote Hortastic, owning your pleasure and power, you know, and learning compassion through sex work and alternative lifestyles. Like it just kind of like came out and I sent it in and I had no clue what it was going to be or what it, it, I mean, I'm just now figuring out what it is. So I'm always in the school of thought, like sell it first and figure it out later. And then they accepted it. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? like, Been I there, done I'm... that, bought the T-shirt. Right. You know, and so that's kind of how that came about. And, you know, of course, 
then at that point, you know, once I realized that they had accepted it, because there's a part of me that's like, you know what? Yes, I do Dom work and fetish work. And like, I do a lot of other work too. And I'm always have this fear that because of what I do, because of that escorting piece, um, that it's not going to be accepted. Like, oh no, that crosses the line, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just sent it in anyways and it got accepted. And so then I started going through and like writing all this stuff. Like I had already had a document written down with like a bunch of like, um, kind of whoretastic quotes, if you will. And, um, then I was like, well, if this is, you know, if I'm actually going to speak to this, like, what would I say? So I started going through and like writing all this stuff. And then of course, you know, I get there and um, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm just going to ask people, why are they even here? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want from this experience? How can I be of service to you? Like, this is who I am and what I'm about. Like, you know, how can I be of service? And it was great because a lot of people, you know, they rose their hand and asked me all these different questions. I want to know about this. I want to know about that. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And that kind of um, allowed me to shape the discussion and the content based on what the audience really was interested in, rather than me going off on some tangent that is completely irrelevant to anything that these people want to hear about, you know? <laughs> You talked about using your real name and your work name. Mm -hmm. Are those two different people or are they the same person with just different letters? So I really ultimately feel like it's the same person with different, <laughs> different letters. I will say when, um, I picked Talia and Talia was born, so to speak, um, I did go through kind of creating a persona with that. And how I did that was I'm going to take everything that's amazing and fabulous and wonderful about me without like the baggage, if you will, you know, without the judgment, without the human personality, um, without the um, getting your feelings hurt, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, who would I be? If I didn't get my feelings hurt because someone felt a certain way or asked for something or wanted something, and who would I be if I didn't have judgments on what other people liked or wanted or, or didn't like, you know, so it was really a way um, for me to consciously set my human personality and judgments aside so I could really be of service. And that's actually part of one of my little prayers that I always say um, when I work and about my work. So that that I feel like it really is me. And it's like um, the better part of me almost, if you will. <laughs> and maybe the more fun part. I'm not sure. <laughs> Can you share some of those prayers with us? Yes. So, um, yeah, one of my spiritual mentors taught me this. Um, she would always do this like um, prayer before she would say, um, you know, let me put my human personality and judgments aside so I could authentically be of service. Mm -hmm. And I have another one that's about um, 
I, you know, I pray for the greater good to be served for all parties, whether they're present or not. So meaning that every interaction that is taking place is really for everyone's highest good, even if they're not here in this moment right now. Mm. So those are probably my two really big deal ones that I say a lot. I walked into your Hortastic class as I was just like a butterfly all weekend. <laughs> it was it was like, I'm going to catch a bit of this class here or go meet this person here or do a podcast interview here. And I walked in at the exact moment when you were talking about, they say everyone has someone for them. Mm. Yeah. And I sensed that came from your human side. I have written... And I have suffered from this fact ever since uh, my last relationship broke up seven years ago. And what I've discovered is that John Human is scared that that person will never arrive. But Catsuit went to FetishCon and everyone came to me. And that is not something I have felt in years. So share with me your story of how you were able to keep the hope alive that someone would find you. So... Yeah, actually, <laughs> I really feel like it's when we start letting go that something actually happens. Um, but yeah, my reflection of what you just said I that, that I can identify with is um, when we're in our space of authenticity and operating from a space of pleasure and who we really are, then we transcend like the 3D realm. We all of a sudden go like 5D interdimensional. Mm. Okay. So in there, there really isn't a time and a space. Like there's not, that's not really a thing there. It just is everything's here right now. And so for me, a lot of times the challenge is, you know, we're operating in this 3D physical human world and we are actually you know, more than 3D beings. Mm -hmm. We're operating on this multi-dimensional level. So how do we, you know, operate and stay out here, I guess, in the ethers, if you will, and still lay in the plane, you know, <laughs> and stay um, grounded and operate in that space. And I've found that the more I get in touch with um, and access that part of me that is pleasure and that is whole and complete and right here, right now, the easier it is, it's, it's like the, I am. Mm -hmm. So it's like the sooner I can remember I am, then it's all here right now. Like the neural pathways in your brain start getting more wired for that. So how how to keep hope 
um, one, just continuing to rewire those pathways for belief, you know, um, and I definitely remember a time, you know, sitting on, you know, my couch at my apartment where my end call was and explaining to people like there's someone at least one person for everyone out there. There's so many people in the world, like it's got to just be a numbers game at this point, you know, and really seeing the best in someone and um, like I call it seeing through them, seeing through to their divine essence and who they are as a human being and their value and worthiness just as a human being being here. Um, and then kind of getting to a point where I'm like, gosh, you know, I'm believing this for everyone else, but do I really believe it for myself? And, um, I had gone through a lot of challenges with, um, substance use disorder and, you know, I was single momming it for so long. And for me, like, I really wasn't focused on, um, like a life partner or primary partner because I was just trying to get my kids out of the house and kind of raised, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, if I can just get these kids, you know, to where they're able to take care of themselves, <laughs> you know, and be hopefully a productive member of society in their own way, um, then that would be great. <laughs> mm -hmm. So once they started, you know, getting older and they moved out, um, then I realized how much of my identity I actually was attaching to the, the situations that I was in. And it gave me this opportunity. I went on this rebirthing road trip, I called it. And I literally just drove around like the whole like Eastern side of the United States for months and months at a time. I would mm -hmm. have to come back for something and then I'd go drive off again and just stop in different cities and where I had clients or post in a different city and just go. And um, I think that that allowed me the opportunity to start to remove the labels that I realized that I had attached myself so much to. And the more I started removing those labels, the more open I became to receiving um, in general. And I've gone through so many different, oh man, you know, like self-help junkie type, you know, um, always reading nonfiction, bigger, better, more, like, how can I be the best version of me on and on and on. And then I, you know, started realizing that, um, the suffering and the pain and the disconnection is actually in the seeking, mm. you know, like we're seeking something. And so by us putting it out there outside of ourselves and going towards it, we're automatically creating more suffering mm. and separation. And so once I really started like landing that it's actually me within me and I don't need another person, that's when it really, I really felt empowered to have like, uh, make a conscious decision. And I remember one of my, my mentors, Jaya, she was like, oh yeah, you know, we've got this event coming up in a few months and who knows, maybe by then you'll have a partner that you'll want to bring. And I was like, yeah, I don't know all about that. I'm still thinking about thinking about having a partner. 
you know, and we kind of <laughs> laughed about it. And literally it was like within like those few months that something happened. And I think that it was because I was, I was really grounded in myself and I was not choosing to have relationships based on sex. I was really, really focused on being friends with someone first. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very clear on what I wanted. And there was a, you know, a journey into that, of course. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, the allowing myself to receive is huge because one, it's figuring out what do you actually want? Mm -hmm. And then two, like learning how to say it out loud, which is great in a nice time. But the real challenge for me was, am I going to allow myself to really receive what it is that I want and that I truly desire? And that cuts deep because it's worthiness. And, you know, can I love myself the way that I want someone else to love me? You know, can I love someone else the way that I want to be loved? And can I love them the way they want to be loved? So, yeah, I guess that's kind of a long answer, but it's, um, yeah, that's like deep stuff. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah. I just remember laying in bed at night, sometimes being like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so nice and cozy and I love watching my murder show when I fall asleep, but it would be nice to have someone laying with me. Yeah, that would be fun. And then I just remember wrapping the blankets around me really tight and being like, ooh, I'm, imagine like I'm cuddling with someone, you know? So it was almost like I was going through the process of imagining that it's here right now and feeling it inside of me. So not needing someone else, being a space of choice to invite someone else into that love and into that coziness. I'm hearing you. <laughs> I think my problem, if I may speak for myself, is my problem comes from the imagination of it to obsessing about it. Mm. I understand all the whys. I don't understand the why nots. And Tell I get tied up that. in the why nots. <laughs> Like, what does that mean? The why nots? I am, I jokingly said during FetishCon so many times that I am a living service sub. <laughs> I'm the one that is standing there with two glasses of water after a scene for two people I don't even know. I, that's just the way I am. Mm -hmm. And because of that, Many times I can only perceive people wanting me around for what I am able to do for them. This week, I was able to see myself in a totally different way. In that, I could just be Catsuit or John or whatever the case was. And people wanted to be around me because it was me, not what I was doing for them. And I hadn't been able to see myself in that way. And I can't remember the last time. Honestly, I cannot remember the last time. Maybe a bit at Kinky College, but I was still a presenter there and still had the thing, well, I presented this to you and this is my gift to you. 
But I went down to FetishCon and I didn't have any plans. I had a tape recorder with me or my, my digital recorder and I had business cards. And my only plan was to meet the people who had been so lovely to be on my podcast. And I did that and I kept doing that. And then suddenly all these new people were coming around me. And I have to say that Saturday night, a surreal thing happened to me where I unexpectedly hosted a party for about 20 people. And in hosting that party, which totally was spontaneous, because I happened to have was blessed with a bigger room thanks to who I was rooming with because we had set it up as a television studio. I told the person that had set up the party, here's your only bit of rent involved in this. And that is, I'd like you to tie me up so I'll have to watch everything. And he said, sure. It happened to be a rigor that I looked up to. And I never got a chance to watch anything because people were coming up to me and giving me their time and mm -hmm. giving me their energy and giving me their love. And, and I'm talking about people I could have never imagined. And I'm like, oh, my God, they want to know me for me. And I was blown away by that. I'm so happy for you that you are making um, like that distinction and that you had that experience. Because what I'm hearing you talking about is um, it's the difference between being and doing. Mm. And our world is about doing and doing and doing that we don't get the chance to just be. And when we're constantly doing we're identifying ourselves with the things that we're doing, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, that's just who I am. That's just what I do. But is it really? Yeah. Is that everything? Is that all? Like, what does that really mean? It, it could be a role that you play and like a way that you show up, but that's not necessarily you. And so what I found that you think that I think you just experienced was th you were being and through being doing occurred. Mm. And that is effortless and that is rewarding and that you receive love and people notice you being and they're drawn to your being, not your doing does that make sense the three people who participated in my scene after i got tied up i don't think any of them knew me as a podcaster mm -hmm. there were three people who met me including one who just came in and she goes i adore you and i'm like and how <laughs> did i deserve this until I realized she just adored me, adored the energy. And that's what I've been wanting to radiate for so long and haven't. Mm, that's great because now you've got a direct 
um, experience of what it's like to simply be. Mm -hmm. And those neural pathways in your brain are starting to, you know, they're finding that connection. So from here, it's easier to go back to that space than it was before Mm -hmm. by going back into that scene and feeling what you felt then seeing what you saw then breathing that through it starts to make new pathways in your brain to where you can start to cultivate that in yourself and then you spend more time there than not well i thank you for going through that journey with me I don't try to make this, (laughs) I find myself making this show sometimes about me a little bit just because people relate to it. But I thank you, Mm -hmm. genuinely appreciate you going through that with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's important. I think that that's the vulnerability piece. And that's something that I really had to learn and that, um, you know, I still get a little shifty about. (laughs) Really? Yeah, the vulnerability piece is because... You know, um, it's great and it's easier to be like the expert and put the show on and, you know, say the the accolades or your training or what you do, but to actually open up and share experience like you just did, that's what people connect to. Mm. You know, a lot of times people don't necessarily connect to the expert. They may want to work with an expert, but if they don't feel your humanness or your vulnerability, then there's like a disconnect there. And so that vulnerability that you share on these podcasts is the connecting piece. Mm. It's the connecting piece to me. It's the connecting piece to those that are listening. Yeah, it's the vulnerability. So thank you for that. Thanks for the opportunity. My honor. What makes vulnerability difficult for you? I think I've always been, um, I don't know if it's just growing up or whatever. Um, feelings felt like messy. And I remember just being told, okay, why don't you go to your room until you're done crying? And mm. then when you can come out, and act right and talk to me, I'm happy to do that, you know, but all this crying and throwing a fit and rolling on the floor and slinging snot is not helping. So go do that and then come back, you know, and as an adult, it makes perfect sense because when our emotions are so high, we're not thinking straight. We can't communicate, you know, it's just a biological thing that happens. But as a child and a child's understanding and developmental like capabilities of understanding it's I'm expressing my feelings and now I'm not allowed to and you're not holding me in my feelings you know and so I think that sometimes there's like regardless of our good intent as adults we're we're always going to fuck up the kids it's just too bad you know, you're going to fuck them up some way, somehow, regardless of how great you do, how great you want to do. So compassion, compassion, compassion. But um, yeah, so for me, it was always easier to bottle it or deal with it in another way, um, compartmentalize, and then, you know, get back to the business of whatever it is that we're doing. 
And as I've gotten older, I've learned um, that, yeah, it, that wasn't something malicious that happened, you know, that it's, it's actually, it makes sense as an adult. And I was just a kid and I didn't know any better. So it gave me more compassion for myself and as a child and for adults trying to do the best they can for where they're at, you know, because you don't want to be like a wreck in front of your kids or something. You know what I mean? So not, not seeing that emotion a lot from adults sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect there or there was for me. And it's like, um, one thing I've learned through partnership, especially is that even when I can put that aside, the feelings aside for a little bit and get the job done or move forward or hold space for somebody else because they're more upset than I am right now. Um, it still will show up sometimes if I don't process it um, in a tone of voice mm -hmm. or body language or mm -hmm. in impatience or um, lack of tolerance for other people's whatever it is, you know? And so that's why I say it's still like a journey for me to learn like, hey, am I bottling something? Am I really just putting a pin in that? Okay, well, if I put a pin in that, how am I gonna go back, you know? And so I've, I've done stuff like, you know, finding someone trusted that I can talk to and vent to or journaling in. I'm a huge like um, movement person and I love to lift weights and exercise mm. and, you know, do my two and a half hour bike rides, you know, <laughs> on my beach cruiser <laughs> and as little amount of clothes as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, how can I process these emotions and get them out? And do I need to have a conversation later about it? You know, so that's been the piece to me. Like I found like if I'm still thinking about it later or when I wake up the next morning, I'm still pissed. Like maybe I, there is more, more there for me to uncover. So there's been like, for me, it's a journey of really deeply connecting with my own emotion. Like I can hold space for other people's and understand and be there. And, but it's like, there's um, diving into my own stuff. It's like, it takes a little bit longer sometimes mm -hmm. and I need more processing time to have something to say about it. And so sometimes even if I want to be vulnerable and share something, I don't really have the words for it yet, you know? So that's why I say it can still be a challenge for me. So yeah, I think, and like my husband, God bless him. Like he is so in touch, like emotionally, he feels things deeply. He can feel it in other people. He can hold space. I mean, he's just so deeply connected and he's so gifted in that emotional realm that it's fascinating to me, you know, and I always say that to him and, you know, he'll tell me, well, you've got this ability to like bottom line things, to put it in as few words as possible and get your point across. And um, what we realized is that we're really mirroring back to each other superpowers that we haven't maybe developed yet and so we're in this relationship and partnership and we're able to um to learn those things from each other along the way but that's only through the partnership 
One of the things that resonates for me is something you said earlier, which is you get into the mindset of zero fucks given. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Yet that can sometimes be tamped down by the fact that sometimes there's a dump trunk of bullshit <laughs> that's coming in from the other side that you don't have to give any fucks about. But, mm -hmm. oh, my God, this wall is coming to down towards you. It's like, yeah. <laughs> to, to put it in a different way, it's like a Batman trap. <laughs> right. How do you put up with both sides of that to still give you the amazing freedom of not giving a fuck, but at the same time realize that the BS is piling up? Yeah, Um it's called acceptance <laughs> and um, hopefully equanimity. I'm a very big um, Buddhist, tantric Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhism enthusiast, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. So what I get from that um, path and that school of thought is um, acceptance Mm -hmm. Because what we are not accepting, um, we're creating separateness and duality and struggle and conflict. So I can accept something. I don't have to like it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to agree with it. You know, so it's and it's detachment. It's ex acceptance and detachment. So am I identifying myself with this bullshit? And now that's why I'm invested. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or can I simply say, wow, you know, this, this person or this group or whatever is having a lot more um, issues than I am right now, <laughs> mm -hmm. because look at all this, all their stuff, you know? And so, um, yeah, sometimes it's easier to detach from things than others, especially when someone is kind of personal attacking you, or if it is something that you deeply identify with yourself, you know, then it is harder to have detachment from that. But again, it goes back to the identification of the self with something external from you. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I find that I'm not identifying myself with someone else's opinions, like other people's opinions of me are really not my business. Unless they're fabulous and really encouraging. I'll take that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but in general, you know, no, they're really not my business and they have nothing to do with me mm. because I'm mirroring back to people parts about themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like I always kind of have a joke when I present that I'll say, am I triggering you? You're welcome. You know, am I not triggering you? Let's go hang out. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, either way, I'm still mirroring back to you part of you, mm -hmm. whether you like it or don't like it. And so when I realize that that's not my stuff, that's other people's stuff, it's easier to let go. And then can I allow other people to be where they're at? Can I love them where they're at? That's an unconditional love piece, mm -hmm. you know, 
And the equanimity is something that I always pray for and strive for because that means in like the Buddhist world, it's like an equal joy and appreciation of either side of the pendulum, either side of the spectrum. So um, having, not having, can I feel just as loving and joyous and free with either one of these polarities? Mm -hmm. And so that has led me to a lot of the other work and certification stuff that I do around non-duality and acceptance of what is. So it's, it's really about removing the emotional charge of something. We can't change what is but we can change how we feel about it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I can stay with like zero fucks, you know, I can have <laughs> compassion mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to have a bad experience. You know, I don't want that for anybody. And I know this sounds terrible. I, I really am sorry. People feel that way sometimes, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, it's not my fucking business. You know, like it's not, you know, so am I going to get myself emotionally involved and invested in stuff that's not mine? And if I am, then why am I doing it? Is this from a space of like love? Um, am I attached to an outcome here? Because usually we are. Mm -hmm. Usually we get involved because we're attached to an outcome. Oh, I want to make them feel better. Well, what if you can't? Can you still be happy? Do you still feel the need to get involved if you can't control the outcome? Can you accept what the outcome is regardless of your efforts? You know, like those types of questions. Part of my teaching that I do at conferences, and I'm looking forward to getting back out there and doing it, I talk about consent in the ask versus guess culture where asking in some generations is taboo. Yet in my generation, that's what we did. And if you got a no answer, that's what it was. Or you can do the guess thing of, well, if you don't have anything to do on Saturday night and you happen to want to, to perhaps play, I would be very interested in discussing as opposed to you want to play Saturday? Right. Direct communication. I go back to what a great improv artistic director told me once. He said, don't have expectations, have anticipations. Expectations have already been written. Anticipations are a blank page. Oh, I love that. It kind of reminds me, it, it's similar to... Um, how I see excitement versus enthusiasm, you know, excitement kind of has um, an expectation of, of something happening. I'm excited to go to this party because I'm going to be at this party and I'm going to see so-and-so, or I might do blah, blah, blah. But if I'm like enthusiastic about something, I'm looking forward to it and I'm open to it regardless of what mm -hmm. shows up. So I love that your, um, yeah, your way that, you put that and i like the way you put that when yeah. we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want presented by dating kinky we're going to open up the hortastic quote book 
when we come Ooh. back. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Hi folks, Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? You both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common, satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please, remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. The Hortastic Quotebook. Did I get your attention? It should, because I'm with Talia Amor, who is a wonderful educator who has an entire program based on Hortastic and the Hortastic Quotebook. So tell me some of those quotes that are just so amazing. Oh, man, they're the ones that kind of come out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, shit, did I really just say that? <laughs> yep, totally did. Owning it right now. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, one of the ones that um, that I, I've said multiple times is um, someone's come is always in your hair even if it's just your own. <laughs> Someone's body fluids are always in your fucking hair. Okay. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's one. Um, and another one, um, I'm humble, but not modest. So you can be humble, but I, I'm certainly not modest. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Yes. Because it shows confidence 
But in order sometimes to show that confidence, you have to put that little turn it up to 11 into it. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It's like learning humility and still being able to stand in your power at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. There's ones about, um, you know, like tips and stuff, like always make friends with your bartenders and your valet as sex workers, because I mean, your valet, you're coming and going right from probably a hotel or wherever, and they're either going to be an asshole and charge you $35 for the day when you're there for an hour, or they're going to just put your car right there at the front and you're going to tip them, you know, 10 or 20 bucks and be on your way, you know, or bartenders are great too, because um, if it's somewhere that you frequent, or at least that you can like build a relationship with someone, people always want to buy you drinks. And they're constantly wanting to buy you drinks. So either you better be able to like handle a lot of fucking alcohol, which I'm a tiny person, so I don't, but, um, being able to ask for a special drink and know that it's going to be, um, soda water instead of a vodka soda, but the person that's buying it for you doesn't need to know that. That's a phenomenal idea. You know what I mean? Like stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's like, hey, the bartender's still getting his money. He's still charging someone for the drink. You know, I'm not getting completely hammered. You know, this guy thinks he's doing me a favor and doing something nice by buying me a drink. And I can still drive out of here in one piece. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody's happy. <laughs> so, yeah, little things like that. Yeah, never forget to love yourself more first. And expound on that one for me. So, love yourself more first because they love you, but they love themselves more. People love themselves more. And I mean, a lot of times when we're in power dynamics, like out in real life, um, people are not as compassionate. And sometimes even in sex work, there's that, um, I, they don't see you quite as, as, as much of a person as they see themselves. Like Mm. there's this, I'm more important than you are, which is another one. Like if they don't see you as a person, that's a red flag. But if I love myself first and love myself more first, cause I love quote unquote, everybody because I just do it's like that agape love like love for all human um but I need to love myself first and really take care of myself and honor myself first so as much as I want you to be able to do xyz to me I know that my body or my emotions or my mind may not be in a space to um accommodate that I need to stand in myself and love myself more and take care of myself in that situation and not harm myself because I want someone else to be having a good time or I don't want to hurt someone else's feelings, you know? Going back to our original mission on this show now (laughs) over two years ago, where we talked about how people can connect with each other in a respectful and beautiful way. Just this question, what can guys do better? So if you're going to talk cock-bodied individuals, 
And if you're in like a cis hetero world, I would say that a lot of times um, men using that word and that way, um, they don't realize the strength of their touch and um so a lot of times when they're going to touch someone they're a little more heavy-handed than they think that they are so there's an element of knowing the strength and force of your own touch when you're going to touch someone else and if you want to flip it the women are usually like very feathery you know like i love both, you know, like I'll go both ways, you know, all the ways. And it's still something that I've noticed is usually vulva bodied individuals have this super light feathery touch and cock bodied individuals tend to be a little more heavy handed. And I think it's just like the nature maybe of our bodies or whatever. So being aware of how you touch is key. And also I would say presence like if I could teach people anything, it would be presence. And that's because um, that goes into um, this whole thing about finding satisfaction in each moment and finding pleasure and joy in each moment. And when we're able to become fully present and actually do that, we're no longer at the mercy of other people places and things they're not dictating our our feelings um they can no longer control us when we can really come into the present pleasure of each moment so teaching presence is a huge thing for me i have often said that the greatest thing a partner whether it be in intimacy especially in kink or just being a friend that the gift of being present is the best one of all. And especially when it comes to kink for me, scenes are the one time seemingly for me when I can be absolutely present in the moment because the control of my ability to go forward or backwards has been totally taken away. Mm -hmm. And I reflect on that presence by so many times writing about my scene. Number one is a thank you note. Number two is a way to process for myself. And number three, to show the gift of presence that I was there for every single thing you did. Now, when you get into that subspace and not able to remember some of the things, you may not be able to remember how many times they hit you on the thigh, but you can remember what it made you feel, no matter what subspace you're in. So I love the fact that one of your favorite things to teach is presence. Mm -hmm. I actually have a little sign on my desk at work. It came from when I was actually hospitalized in an outpatient way because I was totally stressed out and exhausted from my old sports job. And 
I, the, it was the last day there and we had art therapy and I needed something to do in 30 minutes. So they had these fr wooden frames there and I went and found the brightest yellow paint I could possibly find. And I painted that frame and inside of it, I put a design that I had done that has the word moment in real thin letters. And then I put a B inside of the O. And I have that sitting on my desk to this day and at every job I've had since. As my reminder that when everything is going crazy around me, that yellow sign brings me back to something where I see B in the moment. I love that. That's beautiful. And clever, I might say. <laughs> clever. Very clever you are. Thank you. <laughs> I actually make copies of it. I don't have frames, but I make copies of it with wide uh, highlighter yellow banners on it. And I give them to coworkers and some of our new hires who come in who are, if their minds are all over the place, I say, put this on your monitor. And they say it helps. And that's a great thing. Talia, yeah. tell, tell us all the ways we can get a hold of you or connect with you or follow you. Yes. So I have a Twitter that I'm totally shadow banned on right now. Oh. Bummer. <laughs> but it's at Talia underscore Amor. And on there, I also have a link to... Um, what used to be my a blog and it has transformed into my hortastic website it's called successfuljourney.com so s-e-x-c-e-s-s-f-u-l-l journey com, And so that one is where I'm putting um, Hortastic and Slut School and Advanced Erotic Exploration. So there's a couple of different things on there. The Hortastic stuff is really about um, supporting sex workers or people that want to get into any type of sex work. So it's not just about the business, the photo shoots, the marketing, the blah, blah, blah. It's actually about the in-person experience. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of support around business aspects and sex work, but I haven't seen a lot of support around in-person experience stuff. Um, that's also where some of the blueprints come in, which is really helpful. And it's also how to stay sane and process emotionally and get that emotional, psychological support that you need um, in order to have a career um, long-term and support yourself in the sex industry. And then I have slut school, which is pretty much just all of the skills, the persona building without the business part. Mm. And that's because whores get paid and sluts don't. And there's nothing wrong with either of them. And then really the um, erotic exploration is more of a longer term mentorship. And that is for people that really want to explore what is erotically possible um, within themselves or within their partnership. And that goes much deeper. So that's all on successful journey. 
And then um, I do have some other websites that are for like only just like the vanilla world of my coaching. So holistic progressions, that's one of them. And I do have like a, a email sign up on there. Otherwise, you can go and um, send me an email at Talia Amore at protonmail.com. Um, and you can send me your email and say, hey, put me on your, your newsletter. And then, of course, Talia has a website. And that one is Talia Amore-cuties.sites. Um, so it's kind of long. And but, we will um, link to all of those in the show notes as well. Yeah. So that gives you some spectrum. And of course, here in St. Petersburg, Florida, my husband and I, we have St. Pete Retreat, where we do offer the immersion sessions and retreats. Um, and we offer space for other people to do workshops and events and retreats. So we've had like people come in and do Tantra practitioner trainings. We have um, our friends that do a rope class every other Monday night. Um, the girl's going to come do a pole dance class. I do Tantra embodiment practices. So you can keep an eye out for those. And also I'm doing some Zoom sessions with the Hortastic stuff, just an online um, support once a month on the fourth Wednesday. You are a very, very busy human. And I am so glad that in all your busyness over fetish con that you and I got to spend some time together and get to know each other. It has been an absolute honor having you on the program and I hope you had as much fun as I did. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy and an honor. Such a beautiful person inside and out. Talia and I were able to form a lovely friendship during fetish con and I just wish her nothing but the best of luck. And we'll link all her programs into our show notes so you too can become Hortastic or go to slut school or just learn everything you need to know to make your life just a little bit better. A lot of exciting things coming up on the show. I appreciate you being with us for this one. I'm John, always known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. <laughs>